brought to you by CGTN Europe. I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. This week, we're rethinking retail and considering how the world's high streets can recover from the COVID-19 shutdown. Has the shopping experience changed forever? And have the online giants finally triumphed over the traditional bricks and mortar stores? With me to consider where the retail industry now finds itself and exactly what the future might hold is retail analyst and author Mark Pilkington. Um, Mark, uh, very cleverly, your book, Retail Therapy, Why the Retail Industry is Broken and What Can Be Done to Fix It, was actually written over a year ago, uh, wasn't it, Uh, before the pandemic. So if retail was suffering then, how much is it suffering now? Well, unfortunately, it's suffering very badly. Uh, It's, uh, as you say, uh, the retailers went into the pandemic crisis in quite bad shape. They suffered years of loss of sales to the internet. Uh, They'd seen their control of branding sort of broken by all the peer-to-peer reviews and the social media. And they were also facing rising costs, courtesy of sort of business rates, um, rising product prices with after Brexit, with the pounds collapse. They went in rather short of cash. We'd already seen a lot of bankruptcies. Uh, We'd seen House of Fraser, we'd seen Debenhams, Mother Care, some big names. And they went into this crisis very, very short of uh, ammunition. So what the pandemic effectively has done is speed up a current trend? Absolutely. I mean, we see a number of trends uh, that have been accelerated. For example, the growth of online. During the lockdown itself, many people turned to online and the share of the UK uh, retail, total retail that is online, went from 20% in January up to 30% in May which is an increase of about 10%, which took about 10 years previously to achieve. You mainly focus uh, in your book on the UK and US. What is the European situation? What's happening in France and Germany, for example? Well, of course, the effect of COVID has been the same everywhere that's had it, Uh, the lockdowns and uh, uh, the the damage to the cash flow of retailers. In a more long-term sense, It depends on how advanced the internet penetration was. I mean, in Northern Europe, for example, it was quite high and we saw quite a lot of damage to places like Holland and and Germany. Southern Europe only had internet penetration levels of around 5%, so we had much less of an effect. And it it varied around the world. China had very high internet penetration um, and its, its retail sector barely got started before it was coming under pressure. But then areas like India and the Middle East South America, the internet wasn't as developed, so so retail did get uh, a bit more time uh, to sort itself out. I mean, shouldn't the retailers have been better prepared for this? Shouldn't they have thought ahead a lot more? Well, I think that the, you know the retail industry has been guilty of quite a lot of complacency over actually the last twenty years. Because, uh, for example, I started a dot com in the year uh, nineteen ninety nine, and we thought at that time we were going to destroy retail. Um, and, of course, didn't happen at that time. But it's not like the retailers haven't had lots of warning of the rise of the Internet. It's been going on for, for 20 years. And I think for a long time, they considered it to be the poor relation within their business. And they didn't really develop strong digital arms. Those that did, I mean, there are some exceptions. Someone like Next, for example, got their Internet sales up to 50% of their total by the time 
the crisis hit. So they were able to actually trade through the COVID crisis. But many retailers have internet uh, channels that only represent uh, less than 5 or 10% of their business. And those guys, of course, um, in the non-food sector, were absolutely pummeled by the, by, by the lockdown. For example, Primark uh, literally did no sales at all during the lockdown. They lost a complete three months of sales. You're painting a pretty gloomy picture uh, of the high street. Aren't, aren't reports of its death greatly exaggerated uh, on the basis <laughs> that we, are, we, are, we, we do like to shop, we like to go out, we like to meet other people and shop and try things on? Yes, we do like to shop. And this is where I talk about you know, the medium term and the long term. I think in the medium term, which is what we're in now, which is the post-opening up, uh, I think a lot of the enjoyment has been stripped out of shopping because when you think about it, things like the advantages that retail still enjoyed over the internet, for example, being able to try things on, being able to, say, uh, try colours in cosmetics, uh, to go out shopping with friends, to have a cup of coffee while you're doing it, uh, to browse up and down in a relaxed kind of way. Um, a lot of that's been shut down because, you know, you've got to wear masks, you've got to socially distance, you can't try things on. Um, it's really... At the moment, it's not a terribly pleasurable experience, and it, and it won't be until the fear of the COVID has been removed. Well, joining me now is Joe McDonald. Joe is head of insight for the trend forecasting company WGSN. How, Joe, has the pandemic changed our relationship with shopping? So the main change has been the pivot towards e-commerce. So we've seen consumers that wouldn't usually um, be in, interested in, in shopping online, shop out of online mainly just due to necessity. But we've also seen different categories that um, don't lend themselves particularly well to online shopping adopt new, interesting, uh, innovative formats. So one of the main ones is uh, AR or augmented reality. So this idea that you can use your camera to try on a lipstick to see how it will look on your face, and then you can order that lipstick. But for uh, consumers, and particularly in the, um, the groceries market, this brand loyalty has diminished. So they're concerned about how quickly they can get something and when it can be delivered. So when they're not shopping online, one of the few reasons that people have been allowed to leave the house uh, during lockdown around the world is to go shopping. It's become a highlight of people's days. And um, as a result, people have become a lot more considered about what they're buying. People uh, are enjoying going to the shops more, particularly to do grocery shopping. But what about the brand-consumer relationship? Has that changed at all? Yeah, so this is really interesting. So consumers have really expected brands to step up in the space. And it started in the East, um, particularly in China, where uh, manufacturers began to pivot their manufacturing to um, create masks and, and to create PPE. And then it, it began to creep over into the West. So we saw uh, Inditex, the company that owns Zara, repurposing its factory uh, and production and logistics networks to um, produce protective gear. Mango did a similar thing, um, distributing face masks. Um, LVMH shifted all their production of um, perfumes to creating hand sanitizer. Uh, Diageo launched this $100 million uh, recovery fund for bars and bartenders. And consumers responded really well to this. They, they want to see that everyone is pitching in to um, help society and to help one another. 
during the pandemic. And for brands in particular, if it ties into their purpose, if they can truly add value and pivot their operations to help, consumers respond well to that. And what about the international uh, impact on markets? Uh, how do footfall numbers compare in, in the major European cities? This one's a little bit more difficult to call, but when people are returning to shops and, and to shopping centres, they're not lingering because there's still this anxiety in, in actually being enclosed in a physical retail space. And brands and, and companies are responding well to this because they're actually stripping back their stock and, and opening up stores more and, and looking at doing outdoor pop-ups. What about spending? Are people, I mean, a lot of people have been furloughed. Uh, are they going to be spending more? Are they going to be more careful with their money? Consumer sentiment is very, very uncertain about the future. And while in China, we saw um, something that we're calling revenge spending, which is when you come out of lockdown and, and you've kind of been cooped up in your house and you want to go and spend money to make, make up for the, uh, the lost time and, and, and lost spending. Um, we're yet to see that in significant numbers in the West. So while, while retail has increased in the UK, for consumers, especially as we head towards what is likely to be a very, very deep recession, really for them, it's thinking about, does it represent value? Does it do its job? And particularly in fashion, um, there's this requirement to think about, can it do multiple jobs? So if, if you're commuting on a bike, it does the item of clothing you're buying, can it go from um, cycling into the office space? And then the main one for consumers as they think about um, purchasing and spending their money is, is this underlying sentiment of, will it keep me safe? Will it help protect me in, uh, in future outbreaks? What about your job, Joe? Has, has the virus changed trend forecasting? Absolutely. So, so the main thing is that um, the virus has accelerated it. So trends that we, we've been tracking and we've been pitching them at about two to five years out have kind of emerged overnight. So, so obviously, I mentioned it earlier, the main one is um, e-commerce. But what we're seeing is this pivot towards localism. So people becoming more engaged in their local communities, interacting more with their local communities, supporting each other, and this, this idea of community 3.0. The other one is um, the environmental focus. So it's, it's really highlighted our impact on the environment. And it's also shown um, to consumers and to governments that, that when there is swift action, uh, when everyone's working together, how quickly an issue can be dealt with. And then the final one that, that again, has, has really accelerated is this idea of remote working. So this idea of flexi working and, and uh, home offices and, and not everyone needing to be in the same space to be productive. Are all these changes, Joe, just for now, or do you see them all lasting? Well, there's, there's quite a good framework to think about the changes that you're observing. And essentially, it's this idea of connection versus convenience. So anything that uh, has made our lives easier, so e-commerce is, is the prime example here with flexible returns and the, the ability to have stuff delivered next day, that's going to stick around because it's made consumers' lives so much smoother. But anything involved in the connection part, so, so to your point around human behavior and the way we interact with each other, it's unlikely that these are going to stick afterwards. So the prime example will be, as we move out of lockdown, we're unlikely to keep celebrating um, birthdays on Zoom. You know, that behavior is not going to stick. 
But for consumers, we're going to continue to be hygiene focused. So they're thinking about what will keep them safe, but also stability focused. What can they introduce into their lives that are going to make them easier and just help return to normality? As we've heard, clearly there will be major changes to the way we shop and our fashion choices at the lower price points. But what about the luxury market? How has that been affected? And where has lockdown left the world of fashion? Joining me now from Saint-Tropez in southern France is style journalist and author of many books, including Deluxe, How Luxury Lost Its Luster, and Fashionopolis, The Price of Fast Fashion and the Future of Clothes, Dana Thomas. Um, Dana, what have you noticed about the changing shape of fashion during lockdown? Well, there's been a lot of changes. Already there's been change in consumer patterns and habits because stores were closed. So we haven't been shopping as much. And when we did shop, we were buying things that were more comfortable, that we wanted to be feel enrobed and swathed in softness and comfort, as opposed to strict tailoring and, and, um, and dressing up for the office because we were home and because we're doing things like Zoom. And then at the same time, we've also seen a big change in the way business is being done. The stores were closed, people were laid off or furloughed. There was a lot of leftover inventory because of this, these closures. And now luxury companies are overwhelmed with all the clothes that they thought they were gonna sell in the spring and in the summer. What about the high street? How has that been affected? Well, that's been affected enormously too because those stores and those businesses are based on volume, their profits, their 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 whole raison d'etre, their business model is based on volume. And if your stores are closed for four months, you are not moving any volume. So they too are overwhelmed with inventory. Many even canceled their orders for things they'd already had made and clothes were sitting on the docks in Bangladesh unable to be shipped. And so then the, comp the workers in Bangladesh weren't getting paid because the contractors weren't getting paid because the brands weren't paying anybody because they canceled the orders. So it's made for a big economic mess, but it's also making for a terrible environmental mess because you sort of scratch your head and say, what are we going to do with all these clothes that we aren't buying and wearing? And are they going to land up in landfill? Are they going to, you know, go in the trash? Are they going to just, are we going to see them being burned and shredded. It's just awful on sort of every front because the business model of volume is so wasteful. We're not seeing catwalks uh, at the moment for obvious reasons. And you started by saying people are more relaxed in what they're wearing because they're at home. Will that extend back into sort of normal life, if I can call it that? Will there be a more um, relaxed, casual approach to fashion? I do think so. I think that we're all going to keep working at home for a while. I have colleagues who've been told they're not supposed to be in the office until January. And if there's a, you know, a second surge of this horrid virus, that may not happen in the winter either. And I think what's happening is that, you know, we used to have casual Fridays, and I think it's now going to be casual every day. And we'll be working wearing, you know, something kind of easygoing, like just a crisp white shirt and, and, uh, and not have to get all formal and dressed up. At the same time, I think when we do finally go out, it'll be such a celebration. It'll feel like every night will feel like New Year's Eve that we will get dolled up. But we'll probably shop our closets and say, you know, I've missed wearing these things. So we want to buy what we or wear what we already have and not buy so much new. I have to say, watching the fashion shows, the digital fashion shows on the platforms this last week or two, they sort of felt out of touch with how we're all feeling right now, that they're about buying really beautiful, fabulous clothes for a fabulous life. 
and we're not really living it right now. Oh, yeah. And it kind of, it's the first time I've ever watched fashion shows and really thought, this kind of feels a little frivolous. It's really out of tune with the mood of right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I'm sitting here dressed in a suit with a tie. Uh, will, we, will we say goodbye to the tie in future, do you think? I think ties are on their way out. They were already on their way out. They were for, you know, sort of wedding funerals and television appearances. But <laughs> 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 I think they're on their way out now. I mean, what, they've what, been around. Do, are you saying I, I should be wearing a, a tracksuit to be on trend? Well, maybe not a tracksuit, but, you know, the collar, the collar, you know, the whole high collar 19th century thing might be finally finished, like hats and gloves for women. And Dana, so back to the high street. I mean, there, there are a lot of similar brands on our high streets. Can you see some of those leaving the high street or some kind of consolidation? Absolutely. In fact, many brands, fast fashion brands, have announced that they're closing thousands of stores and they're moving more onto digital, foreseeing the, the second wave of COVID and people at home going, what do I do? Let's shop online. Some brands never even had that much invested or, or any online presence at all. Primark only has stores and no online presence. And H&M was closing stores. Zara is closing stores. They're consolidating. But, you know, folks worry that that's going to kill the high street. I think it's going to be exactly the opposite. I think it's going to free up the high street to bring back the local businesses that were driven out by these mega chain, mega global chains, you know, who are willing to pay higher rents. And, you know, this is an adjustment. It's a bit of an adjustment, like when with the stock market crashes and economists call that an adjustment. Well, this is a bit of an adjustment, too. The fashion industry is in the throes of a major collapse, and it needed adjusting. It was growing too big and too fast and too huge, and there was way too much money at play, and there were way too many clothes and way too many stores. And they really did kill small independent business along the way. I think that now people are out of work. They're sort of saying, I've always wanted to do this thing, have a stationary shop, have my own dressmaking shop, something like that. And the rents will be lower because of this correction. And we'll see a wonderful rebirth of the high street as it used to be. Don't forget, for more Agenda content, you can visit our website or you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. But for now, from me, Stephen Cole, and all the Agenda team here in London, it's goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.